If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 11, and then we'll, we'll read the scripture, and then we'll go to a time of prayer. There's a lot to be thankful for, and there's a lot to pray for. So we're going to go to God in prayer after we read the scripture. And when you read through this, well, you see the title, The Tree and the Temple, and you may say, we're going to see Jesus feel a lot, of, a lot of emotions here. So as you read it, just you'll figure it out that Jesus is not happy <laughs> with some things. And I think we can draw some things from, for today. Very encouraging to me to study this this weekend, some challenging thing for us as we go forward. So this is from the Gospel according to Mark. And it reads like this. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And I apologize if your translation has 26. The NIV doesn't have 26. But if yours has it, you can read that. But let's go to God in prayer, because going back to the Colossians passage, it says, and be thankful. I think we can be thankful for many things, and I want to pray today because I'm thankful for many things and I'm pretty sure you're thankful for many things. And why are we thankful? Because we have a good God. So let's go to that good God that hears us because like Tony said, he's the mediator between us and God. He goes to God for us. And remember when you don't even have words to pray, the Holy Spirit groans for us. So let's pray. Father in heaven, you are holy, holy, holy. You are above everything. 
You are watching over us. You created this world, this massive world, this universe that no one can fathom. Your ways are bigger than ours. Your ways are better than ours. Your thoughts are better than our thoughts. Today we're thankful for many things. We're thankful for Jesus, the sacrifice He made for the sins of the world. There's redemption in Jesus. We're set free in Jesus from sin. We're thankful that Randy Russell's recovering well. Yes, it will be a slow process, but oh, we're thankful that you are healing and recovering and being with Randy and the family at this time. So thank you for that. You're a God that cares. You're a God that heals. We're thankful that we can gather here in this place to worship Your great name. To encourage each other to love and good deeds. To hear the Gospel. To hear the good news of Jesus. And the last prayer, I just pray that whoever has ears to hear, let them hear today. In Jesus' wonderful, precious name, we pray. Amen. The Gospel according to Mark. We come to a section where there's a house. You may know these references, but I was, I was saying, what are some houses that we know of? House of. It starts with house of. We see that in the text. We'll get there. But have you ever heard of some of these house of? This is from 1953, House of Wax. Have you ever watched that movie? I have never seen it, but just think of what's a house of wax. If you just could think of it, you might think of the movie, but you have a, a couple shows, House of Cards. I've never seen it, but it's a political drama show. You have House of Lies. Surprisingly, that's a comedy drama. Never seen it. There's House of the Dragon. That's a Game of Thrones show. You have House of Blues. You might know that one. It's a live concert hall in a restaurant. House of, you know this one, I hope. House of Representatives. Where they make laws and debate laws and never come to a conclusion sometimes. And the last one, this is actually in Michigan. You may have been there. I haven't been there yet, but maybe I need to make a trip. House of Flavors. It's in Ludington, Michigan. Did I pronounce that right? Did I pronounce it right? Okay, good. Because I've never seen that city yet, and I haven't been there. But it's an ice cream shop in Ludington, Michigan. So we should take a field trip to that place. But those are some of the house ofs that you may see on shows or TV or in the government or ice cream shops you, or restaurants. You may see these around or read about them. But you'll see that when we come to verse, and I lost it, verse 17, Jesus quotes from the prophets. It should be a house of prayer. We'll get there. But there's a lot of houses of. So let's look at, at the start of this. Verse 12, 
The next day, they were leaving Bethany. Remember, they came to Bethany. They went to Jerusalem. Jesus entered Jerusalem, but now they're in Bethany. They kind of left because it was late, and they went to Bethany. And there are a couple meanings for this city. And you know me, I like definitions of words. And this particular, I like city names and because they have definitions. And just listen to these definitions. There's two of them. Bethany means house of dates or figs. Did we read about a fig tree? The other is house of misery. To me, this helps the context for me. It helps. I hope it helps you. That Mark is presenting to us because he writes it down. Cities are important and towns are important. We read about a fig tree and we read about a temple. Jesus goes into the temple. So Bethany, house of dates or figs, well, you see why. Bethany, house of misery, and I had to look up misery. You know I like definition. So misery, look what it means, and then I'll explain how it helps me in the context of the story. Misery means a state of great unhappiness and emotional distress. Last week, Tim St. Louis brought to us, right? Jesus enters Jerusalem on a colt. The cloaks and branches are spread before him because he's the king coming into the city. They're saying, Hosanna, save us now, king. You're, you're supposed to save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And then Jesus enters Jerusalem and went into the what? Verse 11. Where did he go into when he entered Jerusalem? He went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. Everybody look around. Just look around this place. Pretend it's the temple courts and you're, you're with Jesus and you see Jesus looking around this place and it's late. But since it's already late, he, entered, or he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And Bethany, house of misery. No wonder he's going to Bethany. He's unhappy with what he's seeing. That to me, I love Scripture. He goes to a place of misery because he looks around and sees what's happening. Because you'll see later what was going on in the temple. We'll get there. But then also in this verse, in verse 12, so he's leaving Bethany and he was hungry. Anybody hungry right now? Now you are because I said it. Jesus was hungry. Do you see the humanity of Jesus? He's hungry. He's God, but he's also man. He's hungry. In verse 13, he sees a fig tree in the distance, in leaf. He sees this tree. He wants to go find out if there's any fruit, okay? If you see a tree, a fruit tree in leaf, you're thinking there's going to be figs. But when he reached it, he found what? He didn't find any fruit. There's no fruit on the tree, and then only Mark adds this little detail because it was not the season of figs. Only Mark gives that detail. And I'm like, why did he add that? 
because Jesus looks at it, he sees the leaf, he's expecting fruit, but there's no fruit. Maybe he knew there was no fruit because he's God, but he was hungry and he got there. There was no fruit. All I can think was, was Jesus a little disappointed? I don't know. But I was just imagining Jesus ends up at this tree and he's hungry and he says, there's no fruit on it. I'm disappointed. If I went up to an apple tree and I saw it in leaf and it's supposed to be fruit on there and there was no apples, I would be like, where's the apple? I was hungry. I needed something to eat. How would you feel if you were Jesus? I'm hungry and I see that fruit tree and I need it. And I get there and there's nothing there. And then I thought of this. Go with me to Psalm 1. If you were with us in Sunday school for three weeks, we studied Psalm 1. And I think there's a connection here. And I'll say this later, but if you're a student or a studier or a meditator or a reader of Scripture, read the whole thing. Study the whole thing. Don't just study one book. Don't just study one testament. Study the whole thing. Because there's connections for myself I see everywhere. And look at Psalm 1 if you're there. It says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are chaff that are blown in the wind. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Do you see any connections? Here's a couple questions that maybe will help you think of a connection. Are we trees planted by streams of water producing fruit in season? The fig tree was in leaf, but it, there was no fruit. Are we the same when viewed? This might get us. Are we the same when viewed from a distance and when viewed from up close? Ooh. Somebody looks at you from a distance. There's that. Per there's, I'll just give myself an example. There's Keith. I see him. Oh, he looks so fruitful. And then he gets up close. That person gets up close to me and I'm doing something that's like totally not myself. And they're like, wow, from a distance, Keith, I thought I saw you differently. Now I get up close to you and you are, I want to stay away from you now. Does that one hit home? Are we the same when viewed from a distance and viewed up close? Are we the same? And then you get verse 14. Jesus said to the tree, He speaks to the tree, no one, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples hear this. And you're thinking, why does Jesus curse the fig tree? Just why? He created it. God created this tree and He curses it. 
David Guzik, a commentator, said this, This tree was cursed because it professed to have fruit, but did not. This is why I brought in Psalm 1. And the righteous person being a tree planted by streams of water, producing fruit. Hear this. For myself too, I'm hearing it again. As a follower of Jesus, we must be bearing fruit. Going back to Jesus' teaching on the soil and the seed back in chapter 4 of Mark that we studied, are we good soil hearers? Are we good soil hearers producing a crop? Listen to this. You've heard it before. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Are we producing a crop? We hear God's Word. We hear the planted seed coming to us, the thrown seed, and then is it planted in us? Remember, all four, seer, sorry, all four soil hearers heard the Word, right? They heard it. Some is taken away. Some hear it with joy for a little bit, then the cares of the world take it away, draw them away, gets choked. But then you get to the good soil, and it says... Good soil hearers produce fruit, produce a crop. You may be at 30. You may be at 60. You may be at 100. But if you're not producing fruit, what are you doing? Jesus sees this fig tree from a distance and says, I see the leaf, I think there's fruit, but he gets up close and there's nothing. If somebody, just like I gave the example, if they come up to you, up close, they're like, you're totally different than from a distance. And I don't want to say this, but would we get cursed by Jesus? May no one ever eat from you again, or whatever the curse may be. And if you, get, and if you remember, I don't know what, why God does this, but I just remember our topics we've been talking about the books we've been going through since I've arrived here at Ferris Church of Christ to be a minister of the good news. We've studied James, right? And James teaches that faith without works is dead or useless. And Warren Wearsby in his study book says this on this, the James series, I think. And we've quoted this in our Colossians study too. It does little good if Christians declare... Okay, did you catch that? It does little good if Christians declare and defend the truth, but fail to demonstrate it in their lives. I can have all the knowledge in the world. I can memorize this from Genesis to Revelation, know everything in it, but what if my lifestyle has nothing to do with this? What are you going to be thinking? What are you going to be thinking? Keith, are you really following Jesus? Are you really following God's Word or obeying God's Word? Probably not, if I fail to demonstrate it in my life. This one hit home. I, when people say things or write things and it catches your heart, I think other people need to read them too and listen to this. This is from J.C. Ryle back in the 1800s. 
He said this, There must be fruit in our hearts and fruit in our lives. The fruit of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And true holiness in our conversation. Without such fruits as these, a profession of Christianity will only sink us lower into hell. That caught me this week. We don't think about it like that. We're just like, oh, we're okay. We missed one day of living for Jesus, but I'm okay. But what if in reality you really thought about it and said, man, I'm just falling, falling, falling. And then, remember, the, the God's Word is connecting, so it's full of connections. And when you get to the end, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you see seven letters to seven churches and Jesus is the teller of this and Jesus knows who they are and what they are up to, each one of them. The, the main phrase in five of them, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Repentance was encouraged to these churches. Jesus wants His church today, the bride of Christ, to live out what they believe. Jesus wants a fruit-bearing bride that impacts the world with the good news about himself, the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's what Mark tells us, right? At the very beginning of Mark, what does he say? This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the rest of Mark is about Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus wants his bride to be fruit-bearing. Do you agree? And sometimes we don't see it. And here's a question for us all. What would Jesus say about Ferris Church of Christ if He wrote a letter to us? What would He say? I know your deeds, and then He could go on, but just think about it. What would He say if He wrote a letter to Ferris Church of Christ today? So the fig tree, part one of the fig tree, we'll get back to it. But then he goes to what? Verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem. I like the connection too because in the fig tree it says, when he reached it, right, he found nothing. Now, on reaching Jerusalem. So he gets to Jerusalem from Bethany. Jesus entered the temple courts. Oh man, what's going to happen? He enters the temple courts and began driving out. He began driving out all these people. The things that were happening. He wasn't happy. Do you think he was happy when he showed up? Do you think he was happy? Remember, what does Bethany mean? The house of misery. It mean, the misery means unhappiness. He sees this maybe the night before, has to sit with it maybe a whole night saying, what am I going to do to this place? I can only imagine what Jesus was thinking. And then he arrives the next day into the temple and he just begins to drive out everybody. And look at the details there. Driving out those who are buying and selling there, so everyone. He overturned the tables of the money changers. These money changers were overcharging them. You give us this, uh, you're only going to get this much. You have to give us more money. Then you have 
the benches of those selling doves. And this goes back, if you remember, way last Christmas when I took the characters of Christmas and Mary and Joseph brought doves because the doves are for the poor. The benches of those selling doves. You imagine getting charged double for a dove that's supposed to cost maybe five cents. We'll just say five cents and you have to pay ten cents for it. And you don't have it. Or you brought your own dove from outside of Jerusalem and then you get to the, and the priest is like, oh, we need the dove that's sold over there. So they already bought one dove and now they have to buy another one. Because this is what that was happening. They needed to have the right dove, right? So they have to go buy it. And then you get verse 16. Oh, then there's a, this, this phrase here, this, this other detail. Would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple court. These are just people just wanting to get through to the other side, maybe. You can't even carry that stuff in here, Jesus says. So he's not happy with what's going on. And then verse 17, as usual, this is just phenomenal to me. Sometimes I forget everything that happens in life can be a teaching moment. With my kids, if something happens, I'm not usually in teaching mode. <laughs> Sometimes when something happens, you could say, oh, let's stop. This is a teaching moment. Let's learn something from what just happened. And Jesus began to teach them. He's taught them. He said, is it not written? So he quotes from Isaiah and Jeremiah, two prophets. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. A house of prayer. Everybody say that. House of prayer. It's not a house of cards. It's not the house of representatives. It's not the house of flavor. It's the house of prayer. And Jesus says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations, not a den of robbers. Look what you're making it into. House of prayer, a house devoted to the offering of prayer to God. A den of robbers is a hiding place for robbers and thieves. Why did he just turn over the money changers and seller of doves tables? Because they're stealing. They're robbing people of money. They're there to worship God, but they have to spend double on a dove that they don't have the money for, maybe. Verse 18, the chief priest and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. So Jesus, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders, hear Jesus is saying, did they know what was just quoted? Yes or no? I think yes. They heard Jesus say, is it not written way back in the prophets that this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you're making it a house or a den of robbers? And then I made another connection. Hebrews chapter 4. You don't have to go there if you, if you don't want to, but it's only one verse. But Hebrews chapter 4. Look what it says here. 
Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. This came to my mind when I was studying this section of Jesus' teaching and the chief priest hearing it and wanting to kill him. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is dead? No. No. The Word of God is alive and active. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. What's inside of us, what we think, what comes out of us. And in the current context of the Gospel according to Mark, the chief priests and teachers of the law want to kill Jesus because they fear Him. You think their thoughts and attitudes of their hearts were judged by the word of God, Jesus? Do you think so? Because they heard it and was like, maybe he's talking about us. Now we need to kill him. Were they cut to the heart? Were they judged by the living word of God, Jesus? Just how we... Sometimes, or maybe all the time, you go to Scripture and you're just like, ooh, that hurt. I need to learn something from this text that I'm reading. I need to do something about it. And then, when evening came, Jesus and His disciples went out of the city. That must have been a day of days, right? The disciples, remember the disciples are traveling with their rabbi, the teacher, Jesus. They're traveling with him and they're come to this temple court and they're just watching Jesus clear it out. I don't know what they were thinking, but they're with Jesus. So when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. And then in the morning, they went along, they saw the fig tree. And what happens? Peter remembers. Peter remembers and said to Jesus, Look, Rabbi, the tree you cursed. Look how it's withered from the roots. Look at it. It's withered. And then again, just by Peter's remembrance of the fig tree, who goes into teaching mode? Jesus. He teaches them. Have faith in God. How do you go from a fig tree withered to that statement? I have no idea, but Jesus has a way of getting to the main point. Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done to them. Then there's more. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received and it will be yours. And then again about praying. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. He's talking about have faith in God, but then there's a lot about praying, right? There's a lot about prayer. 
He teaches his disciples about having faith and prayers a centered focus. And some things to think about our prayer life. And maybe we don't think about these things when we pray, but do we think about them? Here's what Jesus, I think, or, you know, you can disagree or agree and learn from it. But prayer involves no doubting. Doubting means hesitate, to hold back in doubt or indecision. You're kind of like, God, uh, I think you could do it, maybe. But prayer involves no doubting, because God is above everything, right? God is God. He can do whatever He wants. But we have to come to God believing that a God can do that without doubting. Going back to James 2, remember? If you lack wisdom, go to God. Ask God without doubting. Prayer involves believing, to trust in Jesus or in God as able to aid either in obtaining or in doing something. Do we really believe God's going to do something when we pray? And if you've noticed in the past few weeks, has God been hearing prayers? Because I believe everybody that was praying believed that God could do something for Randy Russell. Has it happened? Because there was a lot of people believing in their prayers. Prayer involves forgiving others and being forgiven. If you stand, when you stand praying, If you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So if you're praying and all of a sudden you're like, man, I need to forgive that person. Stop praying. Call them up. Text them up. Can we meet? Forgive them. But I think it's also being forgiven because so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Praying involves a lot of things. So, have we ever thought about those things before? And then I'm going to go to James chapter 5. I'm sorry, there's a lot of connections today. James chapter 5, it's about prayer within the church. Look what it says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the air of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Prayer, prayer, prayer. Prayer. 
is important. It is not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. A house of prayer. Paul McReynolds said this, we cannot be out of relationship with fellow Christians and be in relationship with God. Why do we come to church? Why do we gather together with other believers if it's not to come and be encouraged and have a relationship with each other and to encourage each other? But why do we do that? Because I'm here because I love God, I love Jesus, but I also love people. But if my relationships with you are out of order, Maybe the relationship with God is out of order for myself. But if we all have God as our number one relationship and we come together, we're going to be encouraging to each other and we're going to have a house of prayer. We're going to have a house of um, encouragement. We're going to have a house of healing physically, mentally, emotionally, socially, anything. Spiritually, most importantly. But there's going to be a lot of things happening if we come to this place with the right attitude. And going back to the question, what would Jesus say about our church? I hope it would be, I know your deeds, continue to keep doing them. I hope that's what he would write to us. And here's takeaways today. Sorry I don't have them on the screen. But the disciples are with Jesus. And what does the word disciple mean? It's a learner. It's a student. So four takeaways today, which you can take with you and be a student, okay? Be a student of the Word of God. Yes, the Word of God, the Bible, but also the Word of God, Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Number two, be a student in prayer. You know you can learn to pray? You can learn and grow in prayer. Don't stop. Be a student in prayer. Number three, be a forgiving student. And number four, be a student of faith. Jesus starts with his disciples. Have faith in God. If you don't have faith in God, I don't think you're going to be a student of the Word. I don't think you're going to be a student in prayer. And I don't think you're going to be a forgiving student. Maybe I should have ordered them. But have faith in God. Pray with me today before we have our invitation hymn. God, thank you so much for today. God, the gospel according to Mark is written so well. Thank you for Jesus and his teaching mode that he's always in a teaching mode. Help us to learn from this passage, to have faith in you, to be a student in prayer, to be a forgiving student, and to be a student of your word. Help us to continue to encourage each other to love and good deeds. 
God, help us. I go back to the father with the boy in the gospel according to Mark. We believe, but help us with our unbelief. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this song, if, you, if there's any decision you need to make, no better time but today. If, you want, if you're a follower of Jesus and you need a church home, we're, we're happy to have you in the church family here at Ferris. Come join us today. If you need to make a decision, say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. You could do that today. Repent. Believe. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And just like the Ethiopian eunuch with Philip, there's water. What's stopping us? God's doing a work in my own life, and I hope He's doing a work in your life because the gospel according to Mark and the good news of Jesus should always be driving us to do more and do more and do more and also be thankful of what Jesus has done. So if you need to make any decision, I'll be up here if you need just prayer. I'll be here for you. And God hears our prayers. So let's sing our last song together.